Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. everybody. Um, hey, the first thing I want to do is say hi. So here it is. Hi. I am really glad to be here. I want to welcome those of you that are here, on li- uh, here online at the Prescott campus. Could we have a round of applause for the people at your brand new campus? Okay. They are getting rolling. And um, I'm Ray Johnston. I live in Northern California. I was an atheist growing up. I talked a guy out of becoming a Christian when I was 18 years old. That does not look good on the pastor's resume. And, um, and then I ended up meeting Christ at age 18. Uh, I come out of a divorced family. Uh, my wife, Carol, and I have been married for 38 years. Um, we have four kids, three grandkids, a dog. Um, and I pastor in Northern California, which is a church for people that don't like church. Okay? And there's a lot of them up there. It, ex- it has exploded. Um, and we did a crazy thing, and you're the only other church I know that did it, okay? And I couldn't wait to say this to you all. I want to say thank you, and way to go. At Bayside, we planted a church in Newport Beach during the pandemic, and everybody looked at us and went, you guys are nuts. Nobody plants a church during a pandemic except for you as well. Okay, so well done, okay, and congratulations, okay? That takes guts, courage, sacrifice, and you changed your name, right? Okay, way to go, okay? I mean, most churches are afraid of changing anything, so good job. Um, now, I want to try an experiment. You all ready? Okay, um, trust me, okay? And matter of fact, uh, Prescott, Prescott Valley, uh, trust me, would everybody stand up? Uh, both campuses, those in your living room, just watch this, okay? Um, go ahead and stand up. Now, it, the extroverts, you're going to love this. <laughs> Introverts, this won't last long, <laughs> okay? I'm going to give you two quick assignments. They'll only take like seven seconds each. This won't be long, um, but I'm going to try an experiment here. When I say go, and not until I say hi to at least five people. You'll have to move around a little bit, so just kind of move around. But I want you to say to five people that you're not currently married to, and, but I want you to do it like this. I want you to say hi like, you're more important than they are, you're better than they are, and you're looking for somebody cooler and more important to talk to. Ready, set, go.
Okay, freeze. Now, don't go back to your seat. Stop right where you're at. Don't move. Don't move. Everybody freeze. Prescott Valley, freeze right there. Okay, good. Now, um, I'm going to give you a second assignment. Again, only takes seven seconds. You have to move a little more on this one probably. I want you to say hi to five to seven more people, but here's how I want you to do this one. I want you to say hi like you just ran into your best friend, favorite person, long lost relative. Ready? Go! Everybody freeze, go back to your seats, okay? Everybody freeze, go back to your seats. Um, could you all give yourself a round of applause? Well done. Prescott Valley, same thing out there. And um, I also want to say this before I make the point, okay? I've done this in cities all around America. Two people have met for the first time, and I come back a year later, they're married. So I don't know who you ran into, but this could be the start of something big, okay? Now, why did I have you play that really stupid, unchurchy game, okay? Here is why, okay? This is a Bible right here, okay? I actually believe this. The way God worked then is the way God works now. You all agree with that? The way God worked then is the way God worked now. God's still working. God still answers prayer. God's still launching things. God still wants the church to be the church, okay? And the reason I did that is this. We had, you had two totally different assignments, okay? How many of you like the second one a whole lot more than the first one, okay? And you know what? I watched the room. You know what happened is? Everything changed. The atmosphere in here changed, didn't it? The friendliness factor went sky high. The jerk factor went way down, okay? The, uh, the atmosphere, how it felt in here, the energy in here, every single thing changed. Why? Because you followed a different set of instructions. The key to life is the instructions you choose to follow. And I actually believe this. If you want to change your life, if you want to change the church, if you want to change the country, if you want to change, doesn't our country need changing? We are now the divided states of America, okay? Our country and communities and churches could be healed and far more effective than they have ever been if they will just Follow a different set of instructions. And the early, so I am going, I'm going to come out swinging. Is that okay with y'all? Okay. Prescott Valley, that okay with y'all? I'm going to come out swinging. Okay. I have a message from God for every church in America. I just happen to be here. Okay. And it is this, it's Acts 2.0. What happened in Acts, can it happen again? Now, here's the question is, what happened in Acts? Okay. I'm going to put this screen up. Check this out. What happened in Acts is this. Okay. You will receive power. Here's their instructions. You will receive what? Power. So live with confidence. Okay. And then it says this, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my, notice it doesn't say you will be my defense attorney. It doesn't say you will be my slick salesman. It says you will be my witness. And then it blows away. In where? In Jerusalem, okay, then in Judea, that's the nearby communities. You know what? He's telling them, plant a church in Prescott Valley. And then he's saying this, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And notice, he's going huge, big vision. And what happened is, by the way, this is the outline of the book of Acts. First seven chapters, Jerusalem, okay, then the middle section, Samaria, 
13 to the end, ends, there's the, Acts is the only book in the Bible that outlined itself, okay? Now, okay, if you, here's what happened in Acts. I'm going to put up two other slides, okay? Here's what happened in Acts, okay? Next slide, and we are, there we go. Here's what the early, you're going, the early Christians, they exploded with nothing, they had here's they didn't have financial backing, they didn't have any buildings, they didn't have organizational structures, they didn't have a stable economy, neither do we. They didn't have competent government, neither do we. They didn't have a supportive media, neither, and worst of all for them, they didn't have coffee. How in the world did they get it done? You know what happened is without any of this stuff, here's what happened. Okay, without any of this stuff, they did have impact. 120 people. That's just this section. Prescott Valley, you probably have more than 120 people. 120 people, that's all they had. They exploded, okay? And the gospel goes to 32 countries, 54 cities, nine islands, and all the way to Rome. Why? Because 120 people decided to follow a different set of instructions. And the way God worked then is the way God works now, okay? And I actually believe that there are three things that every Christian and every church did. We did, they did these three things, and it exploded their impact. If we will do these three things today, it will explode our impact. Y'all ready for this? Okay. One of the reasons for this is everybody's talking about, oh, how do you reopen the Christian church? In my opinion, the Christian church of Jesus Christ does not need to be reopened. It needs to be rebuilt better than it ever was before it shut down. Okay? That will create a better future. Okay? So how do you do it? The early church did three things that are all in the book of Acts, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put them all up here. Number one, if you're taking notes, go to Acts, go to Acts chapter 2. Number one is this. They had spiritual vitality. They had spiritual. They started, it was about God, not themselves. And notice this. When they saw the courage, Acts 4.13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, okay? And realized, I love this, they were unschooled, ordinary men, okay? They were astonished and took note, this is huge, these men had been, what are the next two words? With Jesus. They were connected to Jesus. It was about Jesus. They were walking in the Spirit. They were walking with Jesus. They were connected to Jesus. They were in their Bibles. And others. They were walking with Jesus, not ignoring. A lot of people are going, a lot of people show up to church to ignore God, okay? They were with Jesus. And it made all the difference in the world. Why is this a big deal? Maybe the best way to do it is to tell you all the story. Um, I live in Northern California. A lady told me this story a few years ago. She said, now, son was just kind of loud and rambunctious, okay? He was a massive extrovert. Raise your hand if you raised one of these kids, okay? Raise your hand. I've got a ton of you. Raise your hand if you were one of these kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I kind of thought so. Um, and she said, I made a major mistake. I took my whole family, including my son, to a really fancy restaurant. And they put us right in the middle of the restaurant, this high-end exclusive place, and my son's at the end of the table, and, he, and I'm sitting next to him, and he blurts this out. Hey, can I say grace? And before she could say, he folds his hands, he bows his little head, and he prays this prayer. Dear God, the whole restaurant turns and listens to this prayer. Dear God, thank you, Lord, for the food and the fork and the knife 
and the tablecloth, and on and on and on. And he says that at the end of his prayer, he says, and Lord, I will thank you even more when mom gets me ice cream for dessert <laughs> and liberty and justice for all, amen. <laughs> well, the whole restaurant explodes in laughter except for this one lady who's sitting over here, and she out loud, and the whole restaurant, including her son, heard this lady say this. She said, asking God for ice cream, why I never. That kid's a disgrace. He heard this and burst into tears. And with tears streaming down his face, he looked at his mom and said, is God mad at me? Did I do it wrong? And he's crying. And his, mo his mom said, as I was holding him and glaring at the lady, she said, and telling him, he, God is certainly not mad at him. An older guy from that section got up, walked all the way over to the table, just slowly walked over to the table, leans and stops at our table. She goes, what now? He leans on our table, and he points right at my son. And he says, young man, I happen to know God. And I happen to know that God thought that was a terrific prayer. And he said, really? And he said, cross my heart. Then he pointed to the lady and said, too bad that old bat doesn't ask God for ice cream. <laughs> and some of you should amen this. He said, you know, a little ice cream can be good for the soul sometimes. Amen. And this lady said, naturally, at the end of that dinner, I bought my son the biggest dish of ice cream they would bring. His eyes got really big like saucers. And then without a word. He picked it up. He walked over to the lady. He set it down in front of her and said, here, lady, ice cream's good for the soul sometimes. My soul's good already, so this is for you. <laughs> when I heard that story, I thought, that is exactly it. The single most important thing about you, your future, your emotional health, the single most important thing about your marriage, your future, the single most important thing about you is this. What shape is your soul in? What shape is your soul in? Why is this a big deal? I trained 12 CEOs of corporations for a day a while back, and I had to write this down or memorize it. I said to these CEOs, if you want a better future and you want, our, and you want your company to have a better future, here's your prescription. Nothing great ever happens through you until it happens in you. Nothing great ever happens through you until it happens in you. Now, why, as a Christian, why is this important? Matter of fact, brilliant move coming to church this morning. Matter of fact, let me take a survey. Both campuses, okay? If you're here this morning, would you raise your hand? <laughs> Jason, you got sharp people, man. The, um, why is this a big deal for you to be here? Because everybody's trying to strengthen everything these days, and here is how life works. When you strengthen your faith, you strengthen your life. When you strengthen your faith, you strengthen your family. When you strengthen your faith, you strengthen your emotions. When you strengthen your faith, you strengthen your marriage. When you strengthen your faith, you strengthen your kids. In other words, the starting point to anything being stronger and better and vibrant and bouncing back from COVID or anything, the starting point is this. When you strengthen your faith, that strengthens everything. Does that make sense? 
This is huge, okay? So number one on this thing is this, spiritual vitality, okay? The Word of God is not, one of the things I appreciate about this church is this, there is spiritual health and vitality in this church. And if, how many of you, this is your church, okay? How many of you, anybody here for the first time? Anybody here for the first time? Oh, yeah, a whole bunch of you, okay? Welcome home. Anybody going, I just got caught in traffic. Everybody came here, here I am, Okay. <laughs> Um, I'm a pastor. I get to do this a lot. You could not be in a better place. Well done, okay? The worship's authentic. The people are authentic. The Bible is taught. I mean, it's a great thing. Number one, the early church majored in spiritual vitality. That is first base, okay? Here is the second one, because a lot of churches do this one. They miss the second one, and here it is. They did sacrificial service. There was sacrificial service, okay? And I want to read you this actually changed my life, and this is going to be a very embarrassing story to tell you all, okay? Um, about 10 years ago, I was pastoring the fastest-growing church in the country. It was also the largest church north of Los Angeles, um, north of, uh, north, the largest church on the west coast north of LA, and, um, and I was doing it all wrong, and it's embarrassing to tell you that. And I didn't know it until I mentor pastors. I spent most of my time with pastors. So I had taken a group of about 12 pastors to Newport Beach, because that's always God's will. And, <laughs> and we did a 36-hour sort of roundtable down there. And the second morning we met, I just said, hey, I picked a pastor and said, would you lead a devotional? Okay. So this kind of led a 10-minute devotional, and I have never recovered. And I'm praying you will never recover. Um, I'm in the back of the room while this guy's leading a devotional. And he just takes out his Bible, turns to Acts chapter 2, and then he's got, a, he's got sort of a flip chart thing next to him so he could scratch some words up. And here's what he does. He says, here's how the early church lived, and the American church doesn't. And he said, here's the early church. They sold property and possessions to give to what's the next word? Anyone who had need. Anybody here sold property and possessions to give? He said, evidently, the early church started with this, good deeds. The early church started with good deeds. And then he went on. So he said, the early church started with good deeds. My American church, that's not what they lead off of, okay? And then he says this, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together coffee and donuts with glad and sincere hearts, okay? Then this is what was jaw-dropping. And he said this, praising God, and check this out. This is in the Bible. And enjoying the favor of all the people. The early church had favor with people, and the American church doesn't. No question about it. What happened is this. Then he just goes up and says, wow, evidently, their good deeds led to good, to goodwill. They always do. And the very next verse says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And he said, evidently, good deeds led to goodwill, which led to openness to the good news. And I sat there, and tears streaming down my face. Face, I felt ashamed. I thought, I've pastored what everybody thinks is the most successful church, and I, just like almost everything, I'm doing this all wrong. Because in the Bible, I'm going to make you say it out loud so you never forget it, okay? They started with good deeds. deeds. That led to good, which led to openness to the good 
news. And I thought, I sat in there and I went, like almost every single one of the 360,000 churches in America, we have been trying to deliver the good news without good deeds, so there's no good will. That's American Christianity. And, but it wasn't the way they lived in the Bible. And so I actually, I actually, I, I, I asked God for forgiveness. I repented of this. And I literally went, I called our staff together and I said, we are going to switch the way we do this. And I don't care if it wrecks our church. I don't care if everybody leaves. I don't care if it burns our church down. I couldn't care less. We will do this the way it is in the Bible. And let's just see what happens. We did capital campaigns. We had done a bunch of capital campaigns, spent all the money on our buildings. Okay. We started doing capital campaigns and the front page was Compassion Unleashed. Okay, and the um, and last capital campaign we had 57 projects on the front of the thing, and we gave away 3.2 million dollars to people instead of spending that money on our buildings. Okay, then the other thing is this: we started going well. We should start serving our community. Okay, and so ever since this, ever since this, I went. Let's shut down once a year. We literally shut our church down every year. Okay, can't come to church. 51 weekends of the year, come on here. 52 can't come here. Instead of going to church, we're going to go be the church. And we do a massive serve weekend for the entire region. And for, we, we call every mayor, and we meet with every mayor and go, what do you need? We meet with every principal of every school. We meet with everybody that works for the poor and anybody else we can find, and we just go give us projects. The last time we did this, we had 163 projects, and we unleashed 10,000 people we took second offerings. We paid for everything. We partnered. And then our business people that go to our church, like Home Depot said, can we partner with you guys? We're like, bring it on. So 40 of our people and 60 of Home Depot completely redid a retirement center in one day. Okay? It started going on with this stuff. MFA, one of our pastors flew in recently, and he's on a flight. And the lady sitting next to him is moving to where we live. And she said, what are you doing? He said, I'm a pastor at a church called Bayside. And she said, oh, that's the church I keep hearing about. He said, really, what do you hear? And she said, oh, kind of here's what I hear. That's the church that does lots of stuff for lots of people. Isn't that a great way to be described? Instead of that's a holy huddle. Most American churches, they don't serve the community. They gather to criticize the community. And I'll give you this, by the way, this changed everything. For example, we have a huge mall near us. Do you have a mall here? Is, is uh, somebody cool? Is that a no? He's like, I don't, I'm never sitting in the front row again. What am I doing here? You're a good sport, maybe. Um, the, so we have, a, we have a mall near us. It's, it's a combination of stores. And um, Nordstrom's anchors it. It's kind of a huge deal called the Galleria Mall. Well, what happened is about seven years ago, it was firebombed by a guy. Some terrorist tried to take it down. And um, he burned out about a fourth of the mall. Well, normally, we didn't care because we weren't doing this, okay? Now, when something happens to the community, we get flooded with, what are we doing? So we met with the head of the mall and said, who's going to be hurt by this? And they said, well, everybody's got insurance, stores got insurance full-time. They said, but really, to be honest with you, we have all these day laborers, most of them from Mexico. They got no safety net. They have no insurance. They're paid by the day. She said, and there's a lot of them, and they're going to be really hurt. 
And so I went to the church next Sunday, and I took a second offer. I said, we're taking a second offering. We're not keeping it in diamonds. I love second offers. I take them all, and we just give it away. So we took a second offering. Matter of fact, most people don't even like the first offering, so we're taking two. So, <laughs> so I took a second offering, and, and I said, we're not keeping it in diamonds. Our people gave $143,000 in a second offering. We met with the city of Roseville, Rockland, and we met with a mall, and we kept all of those people. We paid for their heat to stay on, their lights to stay on. Sometimes we paid for their, their apartment rent. We paid to get to keep their kids in school. We bought them backpacks, school supplies, clothes, all that kind of stuff. And for a year and a half, we kept these people safe and warm and kept their kids in school until the mall was reopened and, was able to, and the mall hired them all back. Okay, this was awesome. Well, what happens is, in the midst of this, Christmas arrives, the mall phones us and says, hey, does your church want to partner up with something? Like, we have an open store next to Nordstrom's. Would you like to use it for something for free? And, they, and so we went, yeah. So our children's ministry went in there, and they ran a Christmas day camp. Check this out. Moms, drop your kids off for three hours for free and go shop without them. It was awesome, okay? And then, and then we just ran a day camp program and then led all these kids to Christ, okay? And then we set up a thing in the middle of the mall, gift wrap, free gift wrapping for all of your presents. And then if you want to give us money, we're not going to keep it. Give it to one of these five causes. And then the mall then called and said, hey, we've never done this before. We're going to do a huge ice rink in the mall. Would Bayside like to sponsor the ice rink? So they, it was the Bayside ice rink at the Galleria Mall. Well, the Sacramento Atheist Organization and the Sacramento LGBTQ community found out that we were doing that, and they called the mall to protest. And the mall was awesome. They, here's what the mall said. Good deeds lead to good. The mall said, when we were firebombed and our people were hurting, we never heard from you. These people came alongside, raised a ton of money, and have served and cared about our people and have kept them alive, kept their kids healthy, kept them in school. We are honored to be partnered with Bayside, and we are not changing a thing. So if you want to pick at us, go ahead. We are not changing a thing. They have been here for our people. It was, it was matter of fact, they never showed up to protest, okay? <clears throat> when I heard that, I went, you know what's interesting is? The way God works then is the way God works now, okay? You know what's interesting? Check it out. Good deeds still lead to goodwill, which still leads to openness to the good news. If the Christian church in America would ever get this right, it would be scary what would happen in America. I think revival is waiting for Christians to start sacrificially serving and caring and changing our world. We unleash good deeds. I think we'll have a brand new day in Christianity in America. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, that's not the only thing. It started with spiritual vitality. We're with Jesus. Then it started by unleashing compassion. We are with people. And then the third one is this, future focus. Future focus. I love this. Check this verse out. You will. Is that future focus? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will future focus. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay. The only people that have a future are people that are looking which direction? Forward. You, the, the only people that are going to change the world. And here's the promise. COVID has killed a lot more than people. Would you all agree? COVID has killed unity in America. We are the divided states of America. COVID has killed people's dreams. It has killed hope. COVID has killed people's confidence and replaced it with anxiety. 
Okay? COVID has killed, it's killing families, it's killing marriages. COVID has killed people's ability to work. COVID has killed, I'm in California, COVID has completely killed my trust in our government. Okay? COVID has killed people's trust in government. It's killed, people are now suspicious of anybody saying the science says. So it's undermined trust. COVID has killed people's dreams. It's not, COVID has killed way more. But the scariest thing is this, COVID has killed people's dreaming about the future. And until you get God's dreams for your future, you have no future. Does that make sense? And the question is this, why is this? Because COVID has replaced everything with a new idol, with a new thing. You know, it's, it's fear. We, if, the, if you're going, what has risen more than any other thing in America, in Christians and non-Christians and churches, fear has been the dominant rising in emotion. Would you all agree? Okay, everybody's afraid of everything, okay? And the problem is this, and I couldn't wait, could not wait to get here because this has been bothering me. Still glad you're in the front row. This has, been bo- this has been bothering me for a long time, so I thought I'd come here and let it bother you, okay? Um, there is, a, because of the rising level of fear, there's a new idol in America, and it's not hedonism, it's not materialism, it's not humanism. They're all still around, by the way. There's a new idol in America, and you know what it is? It's the idol of safety. Play it safe. And so I wrote a thing, okay? We are the most seat-belted, mask-wearing, airbag, bike-helmeted, knee-pad-wearing, hyper-insured, gluten-free, peanut-avoiding, sunscreen-slathering, massively medicated, password-protected, inoculated generation in history. And all it's done is make everybody more afraid of everything. Would you all agree? Okay. And so, now, I'm not advocating take stupid risks for the sake of taking stupid risks. But I want to say this. The idol of safety is, put it this way, you could play it safe your entire life. You could stay, you could, you could live in a gated community, you could never go out, you could never serve, you could never, you could play, and you could still die in a stupid freak accident. Would you agree? So I Googled stupid freak accident. <laughs> I am not making this up. In London, at the turn of the century, a giant vat of beer exploded, and a 25-foot wall of beer went out in the street, and eight people drowned in beer. Some of you are going, well, you know, you got to go. The, um, in 1910, in Boston, Massachusetts, a giant vat of molasses exploded, and molasses oozed out into the street, killing 21 people. Apparently, 21 very slow people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, molasses, walk for your lives. The, um, um, and, and so, so I, I actually wrote a list. Here's what, here's what it does, okay? Most Christians don't give. Why? It might not be safe, okay? Most Christians tip. They don't tithe, okay? The, um, most Christians never serve, never share, never take a risk because it might not be safe, okay? What does that lead to? Playing it safe shrinks our lives, shrinks our faith, shrinks our impact, shrinks God shrinks God's promises and leaves you and I with shrunken up, shriveled hearts, and we will arrive for a billion years of eternity, and we will wonder for a billion years, why is it that God gave me one great 
life to live here, to make a maximum impact on the one short little life I get to live. And I wasted the entire thing because I never pulled the trigger and went for it. I write, I write books. I wrote a book called Hope Quotient. I wrote a book called um, Jesus Called and Wants His Church Back. In that book, I wrote a chapter called Stop Playing It Safe. I just finished that chapter on a Friday. Monday morning, my phone rings. It's a friend of mine in Cambodia in a ministry we do, okay? And this ministry, the two towns in Cambodia, Svepak and Siem Reap, those two towns, 100% of the girls in these towns were sex trafficked. Almost every girl. Some sold out seven times a night to be abused. Some as young as four years old. It's horrific. And this ministry starts, and they rescue half the girls in each of these towns. And the general over all sex trafficking calls the guy and says, I need to meet with you. And he, he, he's like, pray for me, man. I might be getting arrested or kicked out of the country. The general goes, no, that's not it. He goes, you're rescuing people. The cops here are so corrupt. We haven't rescued a girl in 10 years. Every time we do a raid, the pimps are gone. The girls are all gone. He said, it's just disaster. My friend says, what do you need? He said, well, I want to try an experiment if you're up for it. He said, I want to form, get this, a SWAT team of Cambodians I trust and Westerners you trust, and we will put a SWAT team together and try to make some real raids and real arrests and really free some girls. Are you up for it? And my friend says, absolutely. What do you need? And he said, the problem is this is Cambodia, but we got no money. He goes, it's going to cost a quarter million dollars to equip this, train this, pay this, and get it going. Do you know anywhere you get a quarter million dollars fast? He goes, yeah, let me call Ray. So he goes, so here I am. It's Monday morning. He goes, and he tells me just what I told you, and here is what I said. Now, keep this Friday. I've just finished writing a book going, don't play it safe. But it's Monday. So, so I go, I say, here's what I say to this guy. I say, man, I am really, really sorry. We just raised money and gave it away for three weeks in our church. I'm afraid if I stand back up and try to raise more money, they're going to throw me out. <laughs> and, and, and I actually say this. It just doesn't feel safe right now. I say that two days after writing a chapter. And he goes, that's okay, I get it. You guys have always been the one that's had our back, man. I said, but I'll be praying for you. And so I hang up, he hangs up. Raise your hand if you've ever had God on your back. <laughs> the next 48 hours are miserable. I finally call our pastors together. When my, I tell them the whole story, and I go, what do you think? And one of them goes, that's awesome. What kind of cold-hearted jerk could say no to that? So I go, all right, Christmas Eve's coming up. We have 14 Christmas Eve services on our Grand Bay campus. So I go, let's take a second offering every Christmas Eve service. So I get a Christmas. Well, first of all, I call the guy, and I go, hey, I'm going to need a full business plan. And I thought, that'll take a month. He calls back 10 minutes later. He goes, I already emailed him. I'll tell you. I'm going, there that goes. I've never gotten a business plan like this in my life. I'm usually like, we need Bibles. We need basketballs. This is like, we need two surveillance vans. We need arrest vehicles. We need bullets for Jesus. You know, all this stuff, quarter million dollars. <laughs> And, um, and so I get up, I tell a story, on, and I, we raise, we take second offerings in every Christmas Eve service, and I am here to tell you, our people did not give $250,000. 
They did give over $400,000 on Christmas Eve in a second offering, which we did not keep a dime of. We sent it all over there. They formed a SWAT team, and to date, they have arrested, they have arrested more than 120 really bad guys, and they have freed over 1,000 girls. So right now, as we're talking, right now, there are over 1,000 girls over there who are freed, who will never, ever be abused again, and... There are over 100 bad guys who are in prison where they can never again hurt young girls. Is that awesome or what? Okay. Now, the reason I'm telling that story is this. The entire thing almost didn't happen. Almost didn't happen. For one reason. No. No. Me. Every single time you and I play it safe. Every single time, we don't unleash compassion. Every single time, we don't connect. Every single time, we hide and live in fear. Something great doesn't happen in the one life we get to live. I want to close with this. Whoever's coming out here better come out. I'm over time. Um, the, um, um, by the way, it is really an honor to be here. I already love this church. And Prescott Valley, I think I love you. I've just never been there. And thanks for sitting in the front row. Um, I want to close this with two verses. One is from Jesus. The second one I made up. The, um, <laughs> Jesus said this, go into all the world and make disciples. He also then said, here's how you do it. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will save it. That's the words of Jesus. Here's the words of me to what it feels like most churches like. Go into all the world and have really successful careers. Drive nice cars. Live in beautiful homes. And lead safe, respectable lives. First Hallucinations 316. <laughs> it's an honor to be with you. Thank you for listening. But for God's sake, follow God and live fully the way they did in Acts. God bless you all. Thank you. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about Him and His Word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor Him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.